We do not know when Christ will return, and therefore faithful and wise servants of Christ must watch and be prepared. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Last week I said that you are not yet what you will one day be, and the world is not yet what it will one day be. The first time Jesus came, he purchased our redemption. But the work of his redemption, though complete, is not yet fully realized. And for that, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And the question, though, is, are you ready? Am I ready? Are you ready for the return of Christ? When he comes again, he will transform our mortal bodies. He will fashion them anew in the image of his glorious resurrection body. He will establish his rule on the earth. At the conclusion of the millennium, he will carry out final judgment, and then he will make all things new. And we will live and reign with him forever on a new earth. And all of this he will do for his glory. And we will share in the joy and the blessedness of his glory forever. But, but he warned people that they must be ready. They must be ready for his return. And what did he mean by that? Must, what must we do to be ready for his return? And are you ready? We are continuing today in our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, a harmony of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, following the order of events as suggested in this book, One Perfect Life, by John MacArthur. For today, continuing in the Olivet Discourse, watch and prepare. Watch and prepare. And what is the big idea? What's the main idea I want us to take away from this today? It is this. We do not know when Christ will return. And therefore, faithful and wise servants of Christ must watch and be prepared. You know, said a lot of people have made fools of themselves predicting or prophesying that they thought when Christ was going to return, giving specific dates, right? When Scripture has made it clear, that, that's always been a great mystery to me. Scripture makes it clear that no one knows when this time is, that it's going to come suddenly, unexpectedly, and yet people will dig into their Bibles with their calculators and, and figure it out, and they think it's going to be on this date or even this time. They've really not been paying attention, you know, for as much as they're diving in and digging into all that, they're really not paying attention when they're missing this point. We don't know. We don't know when he will return, but he he will return. And when he does, we must be ready. Faithful and wise servants of Christ must watch and be prepared. So we're continuing here in the Olivet Discourse. This is the second of three messages on the Olivet Discourse. And as I said before, it could very easily be a lengthy series in itself. But we're going to touch on the highlights of this major final teaching of Jesus before he went to the cross. It is called the Olivet Discourse because it took place where? 
on the Mount of Olives, just to the east of Jerusalem. And it has been the subject of great debate among Bible scholars about how to properly interpret all of its contents. There have been several different schools of thought that have emerged, but I will tell you how I've come to understand it. There are many good questions we might ask of this text. As I asked before, is it describing near-term future events or long-term future events? And I believe the answer to that question is yes. Was Jesus speaking to his disciples at that time? Or was he speaking to future generations of disciples, including even us? And I think the answer to that question is yes. Is this addressing the nation of Israel, or is it addressing the church? And I believe the answer to that question is yes. I do realize there's some challenging interpretational questions, regardless of what perspective you take on these matters. But nevertheless, there are some clear principles that come out of this passage for us. Now, I believe that this is addressing a yet future generation of Jews who will be on the earth during the tribulation period. But nevertheless, there are principles contained within that that apply to us in the church even here today. So regardless of one's views on end times prophecies, there are clear and compelling practical truths that we can all take away from the text. So a little context for that text, then. We are in the final weeks of Jesus' earthly ministry. He has presented himself to the nation of Israel as their promised Messiah. And while many believed in him, they did not fully understand the nature of his mission, including even his own disciples. The leadership of the nation had rejected Jesus. And because of the nation's rejection of him as their Messiah, Jesus has pronounced judgment on the nation And then he prophesies what is to come. Last week, we listened as Jesus spoke about the signs of his coming. He spoke directly about his return to the earth. And then he gave some practical applications and instructions in light of his return. So I said, I think one should keep in mind that the primary application of this section, in my opinion, is directed toward a future generation that will experience the days of the tribulation, and this is immediately before the second coming of Christ in great glory and power. But there is a secondary application of this passage as well, as with much of Scripture, and it is to us as believers living today who who comprise the body of Christ, the church. Just as now there is God's people in the world, there will be God's people in the world And they must be prepared, they must be watchful, and they must be faithful in that generation before he comes. But we too need to be alert and faithful today. Because when might he come? We don't know. (laughs) And we must be ready. Said last, some signs of his coming then, application of that, that we must hold fast to Christ and hold fast to the faith once we're all delivered to the saints, that we must prepare to give a reason for our hope, but trust the Spirit to direct our answer when persecution comes. But most importantly, we must not fear. Fear not, for you will be eternally delivered. So let's continue then in the Olivet Discourse here. 
Jesus says, Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees which are already budding. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see all these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. You sensing a theme here? Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may have strength to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. There it is again, right? In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here we see the first of several parables that Jesus is going to tell. He has given straightforward teaching on the signs of his coming and to watch and to be prepared. And now he gives three parables then 
to illustrate that need then for us to watch and to be prepared because we do not know when he is coming. So when Jesus says here, now learn this parable, it shows that he was beginning to now apply this teaching, what he had been teaching. This first one is the fig tree. When the twigs of the fig trees begin to get tender and they put forth leaves, that is a sure sign summer is not far away. Now, if you go home to here today and you walk out into your backyard and you look at the trees there, are you going to see signs of uh, summer? Nope. nope. There, there are no signs of summer out there right now, right? But say a few months from now, when you go home and you walk out and you see what? Little buds on that. What does that tell you? Summer's coming. Warm weather is coming. So Jesus said, now you can learn by looking at a, at, at, a, at a fig tree and you see that sign and you know summer's coming. Well, in the same way, when you see these things happening, know Jesus is coming. The Lord's emphasis then here is falling on the fact that all of these things must happen. And there have been various events throughout church history that have been suggested as pointing to the fulfillment of this prophecy. But clearly, all of these things have not happened. This has not happened yet, has it? This is all yet future. The completion of all of these things is yet future. And Jesus says, says something that has been misunderstood by many, I think. He says, this generation will not pass away until all of these things have been completed. And some have thought, oh, well, Jesus must have made a mistake here. He said, this generation, that is what? All of you listening to him right then and there, all these things are going to happen before you are gone. But is that what he was saying? I don't think so. Because he also says what? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. So what are you saying? He says, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. He's saying what? This generation that is seeing those signs of these things right before his coming, all of these things will most definitely happen before they pass away. That was, trust what he's saying. All of these things will happen. That's his point. That generation that is alive at his coming will see all of these things happen. Take it to the bank because heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will not. So that generation that is alive at the time that these signs begin taking place, they will live through that period and they will see the Lord Jesus coming in great glory and power as the king. It would be easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for Christ's words to fail. However, the precise moment of the Lord's return cannot be calculated by anyone. Did you get that impression as we were reading through there that Jesus was making that pretty clear? And yet, what do people do? They're constantly trying to make predictions, aren't they? And what do they inevitably do every time? Make fools of themselves. And unfortunately, not just make fools of themselves, but oftentimes what? They, will, they lead others astray. And sometimes to tragic conclusions. So we can see, and they will see, signs of his coming. But that exact hour, they don't know. 
fact, Jesus says what? It will be like in the days of Noah. As Noah was preparing the ark, the people were just going on with their lives like normal, the way it had always been. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. But then what? Destruction came upon them suddenly. And they weren't looking for it. It was sudden, it was un- and they were not prepared for it. In the same way, the end will come. People will be going about their daily lives, doing what they always have done, when all of a sudden, judgment will come. Destruction will come. As it was in Noah's day, so it will be before the glorious coming of the Lord. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at a mill. One will be taken and the other left. This is a reference to the rapture, right? No, it's not. I think it's often misunderstood because we have this picture. How many of you remember seeing this? Like, uh, it was very popular. And, and, and I do believe these events, but let's, let's face it, there were some really cheesy movies back like uh, A Thief in the Night and A Distant Thunder. You remember that? Seeing it like in a basement church, the, 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 the uh, basement church, and you had the old reels lined up. I remember seeing those movies when I was a kid, right? And seeing that, and it, it really kind of spooked me and freaked me out, you know, with that. And I do believe a rapture is coming when God is going to take his people up out of this world and transform them instantaneously in the blink of an eye. But that's not what this verse is talking about. See, the rapture, you want to be taken for that, don't you? This taking here, you don't want to be taken. Because this is not a ta- being taken into glory. This is what? Being taken into judgment. You don't want to be taken in this instance. It's referring to some will be taken away. Wicked people on the earth will be taken away into judgment. So just as in Noah's days, some individuals will be taken. These are the wicked who will be taken when the Lord takes them away in judgment. The individuals left then are believers who will be privileged to be on the earth to populate the kingdom of Jesus Christ in physical bodies at that time. So as the wicked were taken away in judgment and Noah was left on the earth, so the wicked will be judged and removed when Christ returns and the righteous will be left behind to become the subjects of the kingdom. So this is not the rapture, but this is a taking away in judgment. You do not want to be taken at this. So the Lord encourages then for people to to keep watch, to be alert, because they could not know on what day the Lord would come. By the way, the scripture is made abundantly clear, we do not know on what day he will return. But let's say it was possible, just just hypothetically speaking, it's not, (laughs) but just hypothetically speaking, let's say you could set the date and you knew exactly when Christ was going to come. Would it be wise of you, would it be wise of me then to say, oh, well, that's not coming until such and such a day, so I got plenty of time. I'll just go ahead and live my life any old way I please. I'll do what I want. It doesn't matter because he's not coming until this particular date here. I would still suggest that would be a very bad idea and foolish way of living. Why? Well, he might, he might be coming at a particular end of the world then, but you might be going to him when? Five minutes from now for all you know, Right? We don't know. 
We don't know when our time on this earth is up. And so when should we be prepared? Now, always, right? The person says, oh, I'll get things right with God when I'm on my deathbed. You don't know when your deathbed's going to be, right? You don't know if you're going to have that opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. The coming of the Lord also will be a test, then, of his servants. Jesus tells a story of a master who entrusted all of his possessions to his servant. And so, too, God has entrusted great treasure to us to take care of these things in his name. And the responses of the servants are indications of their inward conditions of their hearts. The Lord wants to find his servants like the first steward, faithfully carrying out his will when he returns. And such a servant will be rewarded for their faithful service when the Lord returns. But a servant who fails to carry out his stewardship will be judged severely. Such a servant concludes that what? Oh, the master, he's going to be gone for a long time. I've got plenty of time. So in the meantime, I'm just going to go on living any way I want, engaging in violence and wickedness. Just like the wicked people in Noah's day, they were unaware of the sudden judgment that was going to come upon them. But that judgment will come. And God will deal with them as he would a hypocrite, which is precisely what an unfaithful servant is. And that separation will result in eternal judgment, weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is a horrible thing to contemplate. And we'll be looking at that next week. I've got to tell you, I'm not looking forward to that sermon, but it's important that we hear it. So likewise, then, the judgment of the wicked at the Lord's coming will separate them eternally from God. Jesus then gives another parable. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Assured, afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Saw a parable of the fig tree here, a parable of ten virgins. When Christ returns in glory, there will be further separations. At the judgment, 
that would come, which we'll read about next time, the Lord will separate sheep from goat. But here he is separating faithful ones from unfaithful ones. In the wedding customs in Jesus' day, the bridegroom would return from the house of the bride in a procession, leading them to his own home where a wedding banquet would be enjoyed. And in Jesus' parable, he, as king, will return from heaven with his bride, the church, in order to enter into the millennium. And those Jews in the tribulation will be some of the invited guests to share in that feast. But the preparation is necessary. Five of them were prepared. They had the extra oil for their lamps, but five others had not prepared for his coming. They had no oil. What are these lamps? Well, they're torches. He came at night, and they didn't have their torches to walk in the night because they didn't have proper oil for it. In other words, what? they weren't ready for him to return. Tells another parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. And there there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't like that last verse, but it's there. And we're going to talk about it more next week. Here we see the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. 
Here's another parable on faithfulness, and Jesus tells the story of a master with three servants. Goes on a journey, he gave each of them a talent, which was a significant amount of money. The talents were silver. A talent weighed between 58 and 80 pounds. So imagine 80 pounds of silver. Scott, how much is that? No, I'm not going to ask you. It's a lot of money, isn't it? So he gives different amounts to these servants. And the first two were faithful with that. And they had a return to offer their master. But the last one, what? Did he have a very good attitude about his master? No. He had a lousy attitude. And he didn't bother them to invest in what the master had invested in him. And he's called out then as wicked and lazy. When I ask you, do you think this is saying, is this talking about how we invest our money? Well, maybe that could be a part of it, but I don't think that's the primary issue. What is it? It's how we invest. The talent represents what? All that God has given to us to be used for, for his service, for good, for, for good. And everyone has been given something. The ones who took that and acted on that and used that and served the master with it will be given more. But the wicked and the lazy ones who did not, even what they had would be taken from them. So the parable of the ten virgins stressed the need for preparedness for the Messiah's return. And this parable of the talents stresses the need for servants to serve the king while he is away. See the theme here again, watch and prepare, watch and prepare. However you understand the doctrines of future things, amillennialism, premillennialism, covenant theology, historic premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism, who's lost at this point, right? (laughs) However you may understand these things, the point is this, we must all be ready for the return of Christ. For we do not know when it will be. And again, I would suggest, even if we did and we don't, it's still not a good idea then to think, I'll just wait until shortly before he comes. So we must watch and prepare. We must be ready for his return. Well, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean for you and me to be ready for the return of Christ? Well, I think first and foremost... Without a doubt, the most important thing we need to do to be ready for his return is to do what? To, in one word, it's, I'll give you a hint, it starts with the letter B. Believe, believe, believe in him. To be in a right relationship with God through faith in Christ. That is, without a doubt, the most important thing we must do to be ready for his return is to be in right relationship with God through faith in Christ to believe in him, to receive him as Messiah, as Savior, as Lord, to be a true believer. Second, then, I believe it also means, then, that as believers, we are to be busy serving Christ, who is the Master. Now, understand, and this is important to know, we do not serve Christ in order to obtain salvation, 
or even to keep our salvation. We are saved, we are made right with God. How? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We can't earn that salvation or that right standing with God. We can't earn it by anything we do. And by the way, once we have it, which is received as a gift by grace through faith, is there anything we can do then to prove ourselves worthy and to keep it? No. We can't earn it and we can't keep it. It's all a mighty work of God and God's grace in us. Salvation is a gift and it is also the mighty power of God that holds on to those who belong to him. Jesus is the hero in this story, not you or me. He is the Savior, and he is the one who keeps us in his hand. So while we cannot earn or keep our salvation on our own, that is a mighty work of God which we receive by faith. But nevertheless, nevertheless, you and I are called to do what? To persevere in faithfulness. To walk in faithfulness. We are called to fulfill his calling on our lives. He has given each of us a talent. He's made an investment in each of us. So what is his calling on our lives? What is his calling on your life? What is the talent that he has invested in you? I would say first and foremost, what is God's calling? It is the onward and upward call of God in Christ. It is the ongoing, lifelong process of growth into greater Christ-likeness. That is, becoming more like Christ. Becoming more like Him in His holy character. More like Him in thought, in word, in deed. It is being in His word and carrying out what His word tells us. It's being obedient to what He tells us to do. Not to earn our salvation or even to keep it, but to do what? To bring honor and praise to him. And guess what? There's great joy. There's great joy in obedience to his will, isn't there? So what is this calling? Christ-likeness in one word. Be more like him. Be made more like him. And I don't do that and you don't do that by trying harder. That is something that God's Holy Spirit does in us but we need to submit to him, be obedient to him. It might, for example, when we look at the words of Scripture, we see all of these things, we call them the one another commandments in Scripture. How God has told us how we are to relate to one another. That's a great study. Do that sometime. We have this wonderful thing thing now called the Google machine. Okay, that isn't what it's called, but right, The, the, the internet, right? And uh, boy, there's a whole lot of potential for bad with the internet. Don't we know that? But there's also a whole lot of potential for good with it. So there you go. Just do a, do a search on that sometime. Just, just do a search for all of the one another commandments in Scripture. Make a note of those things. Write, the, write the, some of those down. Write those Scriptures down. Do a study of them. All these things that God has told us to do in relationship to one another. Like what, for example? Well... The big one, love. Love one another, right? As I have loved you, so we are to love one another. Love one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Rebuke one another. 
serve one another. There's a whole list of them in there. So what is this calling on our lives? Well, you can spend quite a bit of time just working on that one right there, learning about the one another commandments. That's fulfilling his calling in our life. So what is this calling? Well, it's Christ-likeness in character. It's in thought. It's in word. It's in deed. It's being obedient to his word, carrying out the one another commandments. It is also using all of our resources. That is, all of our spiritual gifts and our abilities, all of our time, all of our treasure. And yeah, there is money. Using all that we have been given to do what? To serve Christ and his kingdom. To grow the kingdom. So it's character. It's kingdom. It's faithfully proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of the people that God has placed in our world, in our sphere of influence. You know, I think that's something that, that Jerry does. Uh, that every, we, we meet uh, every week, and it seems like without fail when we meet, Jerry will tell me about someone he's been talking to, someone he, he met, or someone he knows from work, or someone, some other way he met, and he's talking about the spiritual conversations he's had with that person, and can we pray for that person? And we do. Some of these, they, they're believers, or they come to faith in Christ, and they need encouragement to grow. Others, you know what? They're not there yet, but we're praying for them, aren't we? I think that's a great example. What, it, what does it mean, then, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples? It's the people in the, in the world that, in, in which we have been placed to proclaim, proclaim the gospel, to build them up in the faith. So what does it mean to watch and prepare? Believe, that's first. Fulfill that calling and God's, the calling God has on your life, which is Christ-likeness in character, in word, in deed. It's obedience to his word. It's using all of our resources to serve him and to serve the kingdom. It's proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. That's how we prepare for the coming. And we do not know when he is coming. And if he does not come in your lifetime or mine, you will go to him. <laughs> right? And there he who knows and sees all will reward you. Did you know that? It matters what we do in this life, doesn't it? And he's not going to forget a single thing that was done for him. And he will reward that forever. So what? We do not know when Christ will return. And therefore, faithful and wise servants of Christ must watch and be prepared. Be prepared how? Believe. Pursue Christ-likeness and the power of the Holy Spirit. Be obedient to his word. Make disciples. Do you know Christ? Not do you know about him, but do you know him? Have you put your trust, your faith, your confidence in him as your savior? He left his throne of glory, humbled himself, 
was made human, made one of us. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God. I have failed God's law repeatedly. Who else in here has? Jesus never did. He perfectly obeyed it every minute of his earthly life. The scripture tells us when we believe in him, when we put our trust in him, that God credits us with his perfect obedience. We call that righteousness, imputed righteousness. Great, incredible, isn't it? Do you know Christ? As if you believed and trusted personally in him, in his life, not just certain doctrines in your head, but from the fullness of your being in who you are, trusted in him, said, I believe. I believe in your perfect life. I believe in your death for me and that that you took the punishment for my sins, that you died, that you were buried, that you rose again, and you're coming again. I believe that, and I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sin, the gift of eternal life, and now I want to follow you in faith and obedience. That's what it means to know Christ. If you know him, are you serving him? Are you faithfully serving him? How many of you in here are perfect servants of Christ? None of us, including the one who's standing before you now, is. I'm not perfect. I will be one day, and so will you. Right now, I'm not. But the issue isn't how perfect are you right now. The issue is, is are we faithful? Being faithful doesn't mean being perfect. It means that this is the trajectory of our lives is one of moving toward Christ and faithful and obedience to him. And when we fail, and we all do, starting with me, what we get right with God. We confess it. We thank him for his forgiveness and we move on. That's faithfulness faithfully walking with him, faithfully serving. You know, there is some way every one of us can serve him. Maybe it's as simple as the cold cup of water, but God has placed people in your life for you to know and to love and to serve. And when we serve them, who ultimately are we serving? We're serving Jesus, aren't we? The original thought was to end right there with that one, but then I thought, you know what? I need to say one more question, one more question for you. Because I realize at this point, you know what can happen. I know probably no one else in this room. It's only me, okay? But I know it, it, it's like this faithfully serving Christ. We can almost get this very much uh, that our faith is all about what we do. And it's important what we do, isn't it? But we don't do these things just because we have a duty to do them. We do these things because there's joy. Are you growing in the love of Christ and the joy of Christ? I'm going to have a lot more to say about that at some future point. Maybe this summer. God willing, I anticipate we're going to finish our Gospel Harmonies series one of these days. How many of you are ready to finish this series? It's been like three years on this now, I think, right? 
But you know what? It takes time. And, and even then, we're, we're just skimming over some of this, aren't we? It takes a lifetime, doesn't it? But one of the areas in which I've been learning a lot personally and growing is what this whole thing about the joy of the Lord means. How many of you know you can walk with the Lord a long time and suddenly discover you didn't know, you didn't know this much of what you thought you knew about it, right? See, and that's something I'm learning about. This isn't about make sure you're out there doing your work for God. Yeah, we should be busy for God and God's kingdom, but this is what? This is about do you know his love and do you know his joy? Watch and prepare. Are you ready? Believe. Faithfully serve. Walk in his joy. That's being ready. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wondrous hope that we have in Christ. And I would pray that every person in this room will be ready, Lord. Lord, maybe your, your spirit is touching someone's heart or mind right now. You're moving them. You're prompting that person, Lord. If you're that person, Lord, and you hear this and you sense God's drawing on your life, would you respond now and say yes to him? Yes, Lord, I believe. I trust you. I turn away from self. I turn away from sin. And I believe and trust in you, Lord Jesus. I believe you lived a perfect life for me. I believe you took the punishment for my sins on the cross. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I believe you're coming again. And I ask you for, to forgive my sins to give me that gift of eternal life. And I want to follow you now. Lord, maybe there's someone who's discouraged here right now. They are a believer, but man, life has been tough. God, I pray that you would give them strength to persevere, to persevere through the hardship. And that, Lord, you give them a taste today, a renewed taste of your love and your joy. Encourage. Teach us all, Lord, what it means to walk in the joy. May we all be ready, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.